Hey everybody, this is Jonathan Martin and you're listening to the Zeitcast. Thanks so much for being here. It's a very different kind of episode. Maybe you can hear that already. I hope this will just be appropriate given what's ahead, but I was preaching this morning in a place called Alma, Arkansas. Beautiful community. Lovely, lovely people. A place called Grace Church. I had the best time. I'm driving back. Uh, so you can hear the road noise. You might hear the rain against my windshield right now. But I thought there was at least the potential, maybe, of capturing something of the right kind of magic, talking about preaching, when I actually uh, fresh off of preaching. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. I feel like I've spent so much of my life, so much of my time and energy, not only preaching... But thinking about preaching, thinking about the art of preaching, thinking about the art of the sermon, and yet I don't feel like it's something I talk about a lot. Sometimes, here and there, I've been asked to give lectures or talks here and there about how I preach or how I approach preaching, but more often than not, I'm just actually preaching. And I don't know how you feel about preaching as art form. I don't know how you feel about preaching at all. I can tell you... It's still something I approach very reverently. It's something I really believe in. I don't act like I have credentials to talk about this, but I'll tell you this. I talk about a lot of things I don't feel qualified to talk about. Uh, I'm asked about things I don't necessarily feel qualified to talk about. This is certainly the thing I'm most immersed in. Malcolm Gladwell's whole thing about you know, the idea of being an expert anywhere you put in your 10,000 hours. This is certainly where... I have put in my 10,000 hours. It's where the time is gone, the energy is gone, so much of the love has gone. So I want to talk out of that a bit, and the only disclaimers I'm going to give out of the gate are really going to be this. I'm a person who still listens to a lot of preaching, different places that I go, and whenever I'm Whenever I have the opportunity to sit under a sermon, I'll I'll put it that way, to sit under a sermon, uh, because there is a kind of sitting under, I want to be under the spell, I want to be addressed, I want to believe or suspend my belief, depending on the context there, to trust that there's the possibility, at least, of something divine, something touching human. I want to feel like I hear that I might hear a word that comes not from around here, but that's going to speak to the deepest places in myself. It's going to speak to the world around me in a way that's meaningful and relevant. And when I have that kind of opportunity, I try to listen in a way that's really generous and open. So when I hear sermons from people who are very much unlike me, all kinds of different contexts and places, I'm always open to the surprise of hearing from God in unexpected ways. So I want to be a really generous listener in that way. I'd like to think that I'm generous to be preached to in that way. That being said, I'm treating this a little bit more like if I were giving a seminar and you're in my class and I get to be as opinionated as I want to be, more like in the sense of what happens in my head when I'm making critical real-time decisions about what I'm going to include or not include in a sermon in terms of how I think about preaching. I want to kind of have permission to be able to speak that 
bluntly and frankly and not give more disclaimers than that. So I just want to be clear, I'm not, because I don't really like that. I don't, I feel like preaching is a very, is a broad form of artistry and there, there's no right or wrong way to preach a sermon in the same way that there's no right or wrong way to, to write a poem. I get very annoyed at the idea that there's one particular form that has to be followed. I'm not acting like I'm a great preacher, but again, I think there's anything that I am good at. It probably, probably the thing that I'm best at, uh, which again, not to say I'm great, but I do think it's a little funny that, you know, of my two seminary degrees, the first one, I had to take a course on preaching. And even at the time, I was already doing so much of it, and I think it would seem to be the thing, even then, that people would have thought I was most gifted in. And it was the kind of course where your whole grade, essentially, was based on the sermon that you delivered at the end of class to your peers. I believe I made a B-. minus <laughs> Because the professor was a very nice man, had a grid for how you were supposed to preach the sermon. And he had a very rigid idea of what the sermon was supposed to be, the form it was supposed to take, exactly how the movements were supposed to go. And even all the way back then, which I was already in ministry, I think I was maybe 24 or something. And I thought, well, these are very helpful suggestions. I will keep those in mind as I preach my sermon. And so... <laughs> Whatever other things that servant had going for it, it didn't hit the form. Because I remember at the time being like, oh, how am I going to be modest for this? Because it seemed to, you know, connect and go over more like on the on the soul level I wanted to. But it didn't hit the marks. And I think probably still if I was in a preaching class, as much as I don't think I'm just always a contrarian in general, uh, I have always kind of intuitively had a sense that preaching defies rigid sense of forms. I mean, I think there are parameters, which I'm going to talk a little bit about, but I don't think they're rigid sense of forms. Uh, so you certainly were never going to get from me. Uh, yeah, there's not going to be you tell three stories and a poem or any, any form. My, my own body of preaching, my own work in that way, uh, you will notice how much things are all over the map because depending on the content, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, but part of my sense of what preaching is, is that depending on what the message is, depending on what the moment calls for, you know, there very is, there, there very much is this real sense in which the human being, the person who's doing the preaching, I think is supposed to become the message. I get that very much from the prophets, is this idea of the person who embodies uh, the message that's spoken. So I think... The words are supposed to take you for a ride, not the other way around. You don't manipulate the words. The words form you and shape you and chisel you, and you have to allow the words to take you places. So I think, you know, even within one person's word, within one person's own body of sermons, there's not merit to me of you come up with a thing and it's like a shtick and you always do your thing. I think the idea actually is, the, the goal, at least for me, is to have the kind of um, fluidity that allows you to adapt and shapeshift and to, to become the message that needs to be jammed into existence in that particular moment, as opposed to needing to 
dictate that as opposed to needing to control that. For me, maybe that's the very premise of preaching is that if any of it is valuable, if any of it's going to be good, then it always starts with lack of control. I don't think there is such a thing as good preaching that that starts with a sense of being in control. I think getting out of the driver's seat, uh, getting out of the driver's seat rather, and uh, allowing for the possibility of sort of being seized upon in some way, not necessarily by not that raw emotion can be, but I'm not saying it has to be. It doesn't have to be. Don't have to be seized by something uh, like kind of foreign in that way. It certainly doesn't have to be wild. But I do think there's a wildness to it that, again, because the whole premise, right, is that, and I feel like this isn't just true about preaching, that a lot of the things that I believe about preaching are the same things I would believe about writing in general, any kind of good art, is that there is a letting go, and there's a sense, you know, in the context of preaching, it sounds kind of pretentious. Oh, you think you've got the Word of God to deliver to humans. But the fact is, anybody who does anything beautiful, anything constructive in the world that's artistic, knows that you. the idea is to try to get to a moment of surrender where you yield to something larger that exists in yourself and that also exists in the people that are going to listen to you, read you, see your work as an artist to hear you everybody has a concept of that I mean really anybody who's trying to do anything good and beautiful anybody who's trying to make any kind of art knows that you've got to yield to something bigger than you are in hopes of connecting to the thing that that same largeness that's inside of somebody else that's that's the name of the game that's not just preaching so I don't think it's pretentious I think really that's what everybody's doing at least ostensibly in making any kind of in making any kind of art well um again probably getting ahead of myself already let me say this much before i go a little further context of me with preaching um many of you heard me say before of course my father's a minister he's 76 still preaching every weekend my grandfather was pentecostal minister so all of that uh the, the way i'll say it sweat and sawdust that Pentecost fire certainly very much in me, in my bones, in my background, in my tradition. Um, you know, I actually, uh, and I don't want to spend too much time here, but I really was determined. It feels like almost like a preaching cliche now, but I truly was pretty determined to do anything but preach. Uh, and it's funny, that is the way we would say it. Any version of like being called to ministry, doing ministry, would be, you know, the, the shorthand is to preach or not to preach, because you're called to preach or not. And I was pretty determined that I wasn't inheriting this family business that was not for me anything else I could envision, whether law, journalism, like whatever. But the story for me is really, it's pretty simple, but it did feel mystical. There was a kind of otherness that was to it. I was 19 years old, um, was at a place called Gardner Webb University, Bowling Springs, North Carolina. I was volunteering for a little ministry called Young Lives. Some of you might be familiar with that. Essentially doing mentoring with high school students. 
Um, and I remember we uh, very vividly, we, there was a Young Life breakfast on a Friday morning. And so I, I rolled out of bed from my dorm, went there. And I remember driving back to my dorm room after that Friday morning breakfast in kind of a weird way. I just felt like there were words in my head. And I don't, I don't want to make it sound more mystical than it was, but it was strange. It was a sense, not obviously in audible voice, but I felt like words coming from somewhere that I didn't understand that I feel like I need to do something with. As soon as I got back to my dorm room, I sat down at my desk, and as fast as I could, kind of feverishly, I was writing down these things that I was, quotation marks, hearing in my head. And what was so strange, because it was a little bit manic, is that what came out, it's like I look at this when I'm done, and oh, this feels like a sermon. Like I basically wrote a sermon. And it was strange because... I didn't have a place to preach, a desire to preach, opportunities to preach. Like, why did I just write a sermon? It's the weirdest thing. Well, I mean, I met, this was a, loosely speaking, a Baptist university. I'm also part of these, we had these little, uh, little on-campus ministry called Focus, and they would go and do kind of weekend retreats at various churches with their youth ministries and that kind of thing. Three days later, I get a call from the head of my focus team that the guy on our team who was the preacher, like the designated preacher, who was, uh, you know, like a biblical studies major and was planning to go into seminary and pastor and all those things, was sick. And so for the forthcoming weekend, uh, they were going to need me to preach, ask if I would preach. And so I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm doing this then. So this thing I wrote down in my dorm like eight days later, I'm standing up in front of uh, this Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, uh, Pentecostal boy, standing up in front of 300 Southern Baptists in rural Virginia, and I preached my first sermon at 19 years old. And you know, I'm sure it was not great, but it felt like from the first second that I was doing a thing that I was born to do, uh, that I feel like somehow I was supposed to you know, like I, I, I was put here to do this. It felt like there was some kind of magic to it. Uh, something just felt right, and I just and I knew that was that was kind of the the, the moment. The was like, okay, I, this is it. That there was there was this sense of some kind of divine initiative or calling. And I never really never went back on that. There wasn't a sense of uh, that, of what form that was going to take. That it had to be pastoring or this or that but that thing doing this thing in the room was so interestingly enough it really was preaching it was preaching uh, that I did feel called to and that I felt like there's a thing in my life there's something here I feel like I'm supposed to be doing in some form and you know Frederick Buechner I guess it was talks about preaching as a kind of comedy I always think uh, if you're aware of what you're doing there's something well, just so absurd about the idea of preaching. Paul, the Apostle Paul uses that language of foolishness. Uh, maybe the further I go, the more foolish it seems. But I do believe there are possibilities that are opened, doors that are opened through preaching that um, can get at us in ways that nothing else does. And while I don't have hard and fast rules... And I wouldn't want to be wooden. I feel like I can at least give you a few handles for me. A few handles in terms of 
what I think preaching is. Uh, and there's no alliteration here. Um, they may seem like they go all over the map. But in terms of just these handful of things that for me, preaching is, uh, that I feel like preaching has to be. And while not wanting to make these sound, again, like they're... Uh, <laughs> these are carved in tablets of stone. I will tell you that I, for me personally, if the content of a sermon doesn't kind of hit these marks, if it's not all of these things, then it's probably not something I'm going to do or that I'm going to say. Like these things are deeply essential for me in terms of how I think about preaching and what what a sermon's supposed to be, the experience of a sermon. We'll say more about that in a couple moments because I do think sermons are, are interactive experiences. They're not lectures, they're interactive experiences where people hopefully are supposed to go somewhere together. But the first thing I'd want to say is simply this. Preaching is suspense. Preaching is suspense. Maybe it would be a better way to say it, to say that preaching is suspenseful, or should be suspenseful. I don't want to put it that way. I want to say that preaching is suspense. Uh, I want to say that preaching is so narrative to the core, that storytelling is so central to it. Storytelling is what it is in many ways. But the narrative is so primal in preaching that I want to say that preaching is suspense. Now, obviously, you can preach sermons that don't contain suspense at all. And for evidence of this, I would submit to you 99% of the sermons you will ever hear which don't have a single drop, an iota, a hair of suspense whatsoever. There's none. But for me, if there's no suspense, there's no preaching, which really stinks. That The thing that I feel like is at the heart of what, uh, of what drives preaching and what makes it work is lacking in most of them. <laughs> so, but, it's, but it's so crucial. Let me put it this way. This is the best thing I've ever heard about preaching. I talk about it all the time when I'm talking to friends, colleagues, other people who do this in some way. I bring it up all the time. I have for years. Uh, never gets old to me. So, um, years ago, Bishop Noel Jones was doing like a seminar or a workshop at Bishop T.D. Jakes' church in Dallas on preaching and I'll never forget this this is what he said paraphrasing he said that the difference between white preaching and black preaching the difference between white preaching and black preaching is this he said in white preaching you get up in front of the church and you tell people today I'm going to tell you three things and you give them an outline and you tell them the things that you're about to say right before you say them and so you know you give them the journey you give them the ride you say I'm I'm about to tell you these things 
And then you tell them the things that you're going to tell them. Whereas he said black preaching is like this. He talked about how when he was a kid, growing up, I guess, would that have been the 50s or the 60s? That his family, how they loved the TV show The Fugitive. Uh, now, some of y'all might be more familiar with the movie, the film The Fugitive with Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Of course, it was a TV show first. And he talked about how every Saturday night they would gather around the TV to watch The Fugitive, which the premise of that show, Dr. Richard Kimball, is a doctor who's accused of murdering his wife. And the way the show would work is at the end of every episode, Dr. Richard Kimball would always escape. And you knew, you knew before the show started, you know that somehow, some way, that he's going to get away in the end. But that what they, they were glued to the television. I mean, it was just, you know, everybody's just pins and needles watching this. Such deep suspense to it. Because the, the idea is, how much trouble can we get Dr. Richard Kimball into this week? before the inevitable escape at the end. And so talking about preaching, he says, people come to church and they know <laughs> that Jesus is going to, again, I just, this has been a minute, so I've heard it. Uh, but they know that Jesus is going to get out in the end. They know he's going to escape. Yeah, Jesus is always going to win. But the, the task of preaching is, the question of preaching is how much trouble can we get Jesus into until the escape of the end? Best thing about preaching I've ever heard in my life, how much trouble can we get Jesus into? Part of what I love about that, and this is why the suspense piece is so important, is that implicit in it is this idea that you're starting in one place and you're going somewhere else. There's a journey. You're actually taking people on a ride. Listen, y'all, and I really mean this, not to sound too didactic, but this is how I feel about it. If you care about preaching, if you aspire to be a preacher, if this is a thing that you want to do, you've got to start thinking Every single time that you encounter a story, I'm talking every film that you watch, every novel that you read, every short story, uh, if you hear a story on the radio, like whatever, you're in school 100% of the time, 100% of the time. Like every single novel I've ever read is part of my training in preaching. Every single te great television show I've ever watched is part of my training in preaching. What are you into right now? Uh, this Boy, this final season of Better Call Saul is epic. It's great. What great storytelling, as was Breaking Bad before. All right. So Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, uh, epic, great storytelling. That's school of preaching right there. Um, any great filmmaking, any of it, it's always, anytime that you hear stories told, that you see a story told, Anytime that you experience great storytelling in any form, on an album, an album, great albums, uh, take you on a ride, take you on a journey, uh, track one starts someplace, by track 12, especially 
on our truly great album ride. It's not just a collection of songs. There's a sense of coherence. There's a sense of moving you somewhere. Anytime that you have that experience, you're getting schooled in preaching. And all of it is relevant. All of it needs to be paid attention to. Because the same, hear me here, the same general rules of storytelling, what makes that kind of storytelling great is going to be what makes preaching great or make it suck. What creates tension, what creates drama, what creates suspense, what engages you, what makes you think deeply, what makes you feel deeply, what makes you react, what makes you respond, the things that connect with you on a deeply human level, it's, it's all the same. It's exactly the same thing. So if you bear witness in any form to good storytelling, that has to be ammunition for your preaching. And I mean, it, I mean, it really must be. The unfortunate thing is, while there are some great preachers out there, and I'll probably reference a few today, most of the people I would recommend that you draw from, uh, that you learn from in terms of any kind of art, oratorically speaking or uh, rhetorically speaking otherwise, eh, <laughs> are not preachers. <laughs> they exist. Um, Otis Moss III is a living, breathing clinic on preaching. All the things that he brings together, it is jazz and poetry and academically he's brilliant and there's rich lived experience. I mean Otis Moss III is a is a genius preacher. He brings all the things together. Uh, you know, so if you're wanting to learn from somebody, he's a great person to learn from. I don't know that this is especially original observation, uh, but I feel like it's a really important one. And this has always been true for me. This is true before I heard anybody else say this or was you know, whatever be cool to talk about. Um, Stand-up comedians, I feel like, are always where it's at. Uh, just because I feel like in terms of raw communication, raw people connection. Now, as I'll get to in just a moment, I do think there is something other to preaching that is certainly different from stand-up, but I'm not there. Uh, right now, we're talking about suspense and we're talking about storytelling and what makes it work. Uh, in terms of how that happens with a body on a stage with a microphone, stand-up comedy is, is absolutely the, the clinic more often than not. I know that there's been a good bit of controversy in the last year or two around Dave Chappelle, especially his last uh, special, um, some of the trans jokes, that kind of thing without getting into like the content in that way I mean Chappelle is truly um, just in terms of, of the form and goodness by the way the special he did right after the murder of George Floyd now that was preaching that was preaching alright but the stuff that Chappelle does um, the great preachers for me uh, this is what I would say. The truly great preachers, the highest compliment I could pay somebody is I would say, man, that person can do it. I would say that person can do anything they want with a microphone. And Dave Chappelle is one of those people who can do anything he wants with a microphone. Full command, 
of himself in the room, but not control. Not control. Control is bad. Um, it's more open than that. You know, Chris Rock is a great comedian as well. Very smart. Very, uh, and you know, there's cultural commentary and all that. But one of the reasons I feel like Chappelle's on a different planet than Chris Rock, I saw them both within a year or two of each other live. And um, around the same time, I don't remember what year that was, but Chris Rock, they, uh, there was like a, uh, there was a stand-up special he did where they shot it, I don't remember the cities, let's say it was London, New York, and uh, Chicago. But it kept cutting between the three places. And I felt like what it was supposed to demonstrate was the artistry of the comic in the sense that look look at the timing, look at the precision, look how no matter what stage he's on, the different crowds, the different cities, look how every beat is the same, look how every note is the same. Now, I do think in kind of a clinical way that is impressive, and Chris Rock is very, very good, but... Uh, even though Chappelle, like anybody else, when he's on the road, will have a certain, you know, uh, a little. There's a bit of a set. There might be a bit of a form. One of the things I've seen with Chappelle, and I really observed this when I saw him in New Orleans on uh, a theater on Canal Street in 2014. I think it was. Yeah, late 2014. We was just coming back. Chappelle is so present to the room, and there's a way of being in the moment for him. There's stuff that happens in the room. It's not going to be the same in all three cities. You couldn't shoot a special that way because it's what they're, the real-time dynamics. And I feel like that's kind of what part of what puts him on a, another plane for me as a communicator is the ability to fully inhabit a moment in that way. Uh, it's just kind of next level. And again, I don't, I'm not trying to trigger anybody. Um, that's just in terms of, but again, in terms of just the sophistication of what he's able to do, uh, a fun, maybe a side there, the one Chappelle special where it kind of really gently hung on the five times that he said, the last time I met Bill Cosby, and there was a structure to it that's pretty genius, but it wasn't overt, and you don't kind of realize until it's nearly over, oh, this was structured around these five things. Something else I feel like that he does like especially well because like there is a there's an essential structure that's there, but it's not overt. It is definitely not the white Southern Baptist preacher telling you, today I'm gonna to tell you these three things and then telling you those three things. Um, it's clearly thought through. It's not that it's just all like, eh, off the top of his head, like whatever. No, there is a form that's there, but form doesn't scream at you. Because there is a, there is a thing that's so present that so fully inhabits the moment, and while I'm riffing a little bit here, one of the reasons I feel like those Chappelle, you feel like he can do anything he wants with the microphone, is that every set feels like such a journey, and whether you like him or you don't, or you feel like he goes too far or whatever, there's always like a real sense of suspense to that set. Um, <laughs> I mentioned recently, and Nicole says this a lot, that she still gets nervous when she hears me preach because she's like, you'll go on a thing where I really don't know where you're going to go. Like, I actually don't know where this is going to land. I'm like, what, what's going to happen? 
And so what I always joke is, well, the suspense is actual because I don't know where it's going to go. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I actually don't think that that kind of improvisation is utterly essential to preaching. Probably is pretty important to me, honestly. And this could be a whole other talk. Preaching as improvisation. Uh, Sam Wells' great work on ethics and interpretation of scripture as improvisation. There's a lot we could say, that, like these wonderful parallels, you know. Uh, it is a lot like improvisational acting. A troupe is together long enough. They learn to trust each other. And out of that trust, new things can happen. In jazz music, you learn once you've got the basic, uh, kind of got the scale down, eventually then you're able to improvise faithfully. And there's a lot of parallels to make with that in preaching. Um, so improvis- and improvisation is something I do a lot of. I think probably having the many more than 10,000 hours, I feel like I can do that without going utterly off the rails, and it's part of my thing. But I don't think everybody needs to improvise in the sense that everything needs to be... In fact, most the most disastrous things I ever see happen in preaching are when somebody has this kind of, I'm just going to open up my mouth and let the Lord fill it kind of thing normally does not does not end well. So I don't think the idea is not so much having things... Uh, for one, a lot, for a lot of people, speaking off the cuff weirdly has zero suspense to it. Because a lot of times I think when people speak just off the cuff, because I want to illustrate that difference, they often go back to default riffs so whatever their thing is, uh, like, you know, these kind of default, here's the stuff I just like to talk about, here's the same familiar rants. I find it kind of hilarious. Some of the preachers will think of themselves as being very spirit-led, when really what they do is a lot of rants that are just, this is the familiar stuff. And yeah, you might be getting hot and bothered in a way that feels spontaneous, but really, anybody who follows you for any amount of time, like, we know what you're hot and bothered about, and you kind of get yourself worked up over the same things. And that that's not necessarily, doesn't have like this deep human interest to it. But suspense, though, I, there should be a sense of genuine discovery. Preaching should contain real discovery. And I would say it should first and foremost be a sense of self-discovery. When U2 was making the pop record, I remember a quote where Bono said, um, because the pop record was pretty out there for them, and I remember Bono saying, we just think if this is not um, BS for us, it won't be BS for you. And I think that principle is true with preaching. If it's not BS for you, it it won't be BS for them. But I think the only way that there's going to be a sense of discovery for the congregation is if there's a sense of self-discovery. So again, I'm saying this to you is because this is kind of in my world, my universe, how I think about preaching. For me, if what I'm working on, thinking about, is it going towards some kind of surprise? If I'm not getting towards something that surprises me, I'm, I'm just I'm walking away from that content altogether. Don't don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Just why bring to people? Here, 
why bring people a set of convictions that you already have, that you've always held? It's not interesting. Who cares? Uh, this is just what you've always thought. And whenever you hear something in the news or whatever happens in the world, well, I just, uh, here's my opinion and I want to give it. Blah. That's not preaching. Preaching is supposed to create opportunities. Preaching is supposed to create avenues for something new to happen. And if there's not something new happening in you, it's not going to be new happening in someone else. And by the way, if something new is not happening inside of you, and something new is not happening inside of the people who are listening, God's not happening through that sermon. I hate to tell you, because God is newness. God is surprise. God is the one who is always creating new life. So if whatever it is that you're working on, is it carving out some kind of new space? Then what are you doing? If this is just like an opportunity to rant about the stuff that you already think, I hate to tell you this. I'm not saying that's bad to do. It's just not what preaching is. Now that's what Facebook is. That's what Facebook is. Yes, 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 yes. If we want to call that preaching, Everybody can be a preacher on Facebook. Everybody can rant about all the things they've always thought. And you and you you can have your little digital microphone and you can do your thing and uh, the same handful of people will amen you every time that you say the same things over and over. That's fine if you want to do it. It's just not preaching and please don't call it that. Because preaching, preaching is full of drama preaching is full of discovery and the discovery has to start inside of you. The discovery has to start inside of you. If you're not learning something, if it's not taking you somewhere new, if it doesn't bring out, and even this isn't quite strong enough for the way I feel it, but at minimum and aha. I don't like aha because aha sounds sterile. Uh, let, let's. What, what else can we use here, right? If it doesn't bring out like a Ah, you know, like an oof. Uh, just if it doesn't take your breath away, if it doesn't, if you're not astonished, no one else is going to be astonished. And look, people just people get the same old all the time. Preaching is supposed to be a place for wonder. Preaching is supposed to be a place for surprise. That's why it's so important to me that preaching is a place for suspense. This needs to start at one place. You get out of the driveway. Great. But you don't end in the driveway. You go somewhere. You take people on a journey. You take people on a journey with you. you do. And in the way we think about this, certainly in the Pentecostal church, we're going on a journey together. We're jamming this thing out together. We're going someplace good. But goodness, if there's not a sense authentically of discovery... When I'm preaching, I don't think I'm good at what I'm doing necessarily, but you will hear this all the time. You will hear constant discovery, constant like, wow, whoa, ah, I would not seen it that way before. And I'm like, whatever. I embrace those moments with my whole self. And I'm going to tell you something right now, and it's going to sound funny. I feel like even some of the folks who don't necessarily know, if they agree, well, we don't know about all your positions, Martin. We don't know about like, we don't know about you, you the way you think about this. But that thing that, in the Pentecostal circle in our world that I think we is often referred to as kind of like the anointing of the Holy Spirit, there is something, getting ahead of myself a, a bit, but there's something electric and powerful. People know when there's like that kind of real soul discovery in a thing. 
And look, you don't have to be... I'm not talking about being smart here. I'm, these are not... I'm not talking about academic facts. I'm not talking about something you read on Wikipedia. I'm talking about a real sense of discovery. Um, out, of the, out of the text. Out of your own life, etc. Hey, okay, I'm, let's go on. Preaching is suspense. Well... I took my time on that one, didn't I? <laughs> I do believe that. I believe that preaching is suspense. I also believe that preaching is otherness. Preaching is otherness. So while stand-up comedians are far, far, far better than preachers in terms of pacing and varying tone and pitch and all kinds of things. There, this is something to be different than just the very premise of, of stand-up. Is that preaching actually is... Preaching is otherness. I, I'm sure I'm very influenced from where I come from here. I don't think you can go too far here. I think this would get unhealthy. But a lot of this is in me and I hold on to it and I choose it on purpose. But something of that Moses on Mount Sinai, there is fire, there is thunder and lightning, there is electricity, there is some, something out there is touching the ground right here. And we're trying to make space for the possibility of, of something like that happening here. We're dry, may not happen every time may not feel that way every time. It may not feel transcendent every single time. That's okay. It's all right. But we want to at least create room for the possibility of that kind of experience. We want to create room for the possibility of transcendence. We want to create room for, uh, for that kind of otherness to happen. This is one of the reasons that I've feel so passionate about the idea that preaching isn't just ranting about things that you already think. Because, gosh, people's lives are complicated and they're messy and hard. And how desperate are all of us really for a word that comes from another perspective? How desperate are we really for a word that comes from that other point of view. Do you hear what I'm saying? The book of Revelation, the Apocalypse, and the New Testament, uh, Jesus, of course, uh, there's that, uh, Revelation 4, Jesus says to uh, John, you know, to come up here. And I feel like there, that's largely what preaching is about. Again, the invitation first to the preacher, then the preacher issues that invitation. But there, it's that call to come up here. Come, not necessarily to be in another world. There's, there's, there's a place for that too, and I'll talk about that. But come see the world that you already inhabit. Come see the world that you already live in from a very different point of view. Come see the world from a cosmic point of view. Uh, come up to this mountain. Uh, we all know how different the same reality looks looking out the window of an airplane from the way it looks out of the window in a car. The, the, come up higher. 
Come up higher. Come up higher. Come up higher. I'm selling TD Jakes right now. <laughs> but actually, for real, come up higher. This is, this is, this is maybe my biggest critique of why so much preaching sucks. It never invites people to come up higher because the preacher's not going up higher. Um, it's a lot of flat, <laughs> it's flat opinion. It's, um, and I don't know what you think about this, but for me, these exist on the same continuum. Um, the same a Pentecostal who's ranting on their pet peeves and a incredibly progressive person who's giving some very rote lecture academically about context or something. Eh, it's all on kind of the same plane for me. You know, because the fact of the matter is there is the possibility in a sermon for something transformational to happen. One of my favorite books on preaching, Richard Lisher wrote, it's called Martin, um, uh, The Preacher King, Martin Luther King and the Word that Moved America. And I love even that language. Martin Luther King and the Word that Moved America. Do you hear it? The word that, there is a word that can move a nation. There's a word that can shake a person's soul. But that's not, that's not griping, that's not pontificating, that's not lecturing. It has nothing to do, by the way, with volume. It really doesn't. It doesn't even do with style. This is not like in our, the world I come from, there was a, a lot of difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching is kind of more like, that. Eh, that's more like informational and professorial. Preaching is more yelling and screaming. I, I don't care about the form. I Whatever. It's not that about a difference between teaching and preaching. Whatever the style, there is an opportunity for something transformational to happen in which a person can feel like their own life experience comes into contact with another world. I'm trying to make it sound spooky, but another dimension, right? Hmm. Now, all of a sudden, things can shift. Now, all of a sudden, I'm able to see something I couldn't have seen before. I'm able to hear something I couldn't have heard before. Possibilities are being created. Preaching at its best, friends, creates bridges to the future. Think about the prophet Ezekiel. You remember when Ezekiel prophesies over that valley of dry bones? And in the very act of him speaking, while he's speaking, while he's speaking, that the bones start to come together. And now there's... Uh, there's sinew and there's flesh and there's movement and there's life and it all happens and oh yeah this is this is what happens this is what can happen at least this is what we, this is what we hold out hope for we're holding out hope for the possibility that new life just might happen there may be something other can happen now we could have a whole another talk I suppose, about how to get there. I can tell you that for me personally, and you don't have to do it this way, but this is where preaching from the lectionary has made me an exponentially better preacher. I think I was a pretty decent preacher before. I became exponentially better when I started preaching from the lectionary, uh, which is funny 
because my idea before was, well, you know, you just need to wait for the Holy Spirit to give you word, not realizing how much, and not just kind of sit and wait for the Holy Spirit to say something, how much that really means. Again, you default back to stuff you already know. You default back to your old brands and the stuff you like to talk about, really. Stuff you like to get hot and bothered about. What I love about the lectionary is it started is it started forcing me to go other places. It started making me dance. Well, I don't know what to do with this text. I don't know what I think about this. I've never thought about this passage before. I don't know if I like this passage. I don't know how I feel about this. And the grappling and the wrestling and the uh, wrangling and the angst, the tension, the back and forth. Hmm, okay. Well, that can create something interesting. That's where something good happens. And one of the reasons that I do gently push people towards the lectionary, now, you know, my way of doing it, by the way, to this moment, most of the time, is I look at the lectionary text for any given Sunday, and normally, I honestly, this may not be the way for you, this would be a process of longer, deeper discernment. Normally, one run through those texts, you know, the Old Testament reading, First Testament reading, the Gospel reading, the Epistle, Psalm, whatever, read them all and normally I know from the first run through oh something something comes to life in me there's a spark it's supposed to be that but what I've found is that and I I use this language a lot where you know Jesus tells Peter uh, you know there was a time where you were young and you went wherever you wish but the, the, the day was coming where he would be led places, you'll be led places where you do not choose to go. And that's, for me, the power of the lectionary, is it takes you places that you would not choose to go. And there, I, I, that's, that's always what I want. That's always what I'm hoping for. But I know that, again, think about the lack of control, the yielding, the giving up of control that's implicit in that. So for anybody else to be taken someplace that's interesting in the sermon, that means I'm going to have to be led places that I do not choose to go. And this is, man, this is like my fundamental, this would be my premise, my baseline of what for me is frankly kind of the difference between good and, and bad preaching. Are you willing to be led places you would not choose to go? Are you choosing where you go? Do you get to pick the ride? Don't, don't even hear this in too much of a... Uh, in too spiritual of a way, right? Because of what they can sound, they can sound very spiritual when I mean it to be much more concrete than that. I mean, don't you want to go on an adventure? I mean, don't you want to go on a ride? I mean, who wants? <laughs> well, actually, depending on our personality disposition, I understand these things actually can be different. But don't you like the idea sometimes somewhere of actually being taken places that you don't expect? You know, I just think in order to get there, if there's going to be the possibility of otherness, we're going to have to be willing to be led some places that we wouldn't otherwise choose. And that's where, for me, going to text that I wouldn't choose and have and being confronted by them has been so important. I just I need to move on. I just can't stress enough how much I feel like there is a hunger. There's a deep hunger in people 
to hear some kind of otherness. And I'm telling you, whether it doesn't matter where people come from or what they think they want. Because people think they want somebody to agree with them. They do. They do. They think that they want somebody to stand behind the desk and to tell them to vindicate what they already think. That's what they think they want. But it's not what they want, really. They don't really want somebody to just tell them the stuff that they've already been thinking is right. Uh, No, what they really want is to be addressed by something that feels beyond them, by something they want to feel like they're in touch with some kind of a deeper mystery. And that can happen. But that means that you have to be willing to go on that kind of a ride for yourself means you have to be willing to be led some places means you have to be challenged in your own source material goodness gracious Uh, that's one of the man that'd be that's a huge part of creating the otherness right there what creates otherness right Uh, what 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 creates the possibility for something like this well we have to be destabilized we have to experience some degree of disorientation that's a trouble also with constantly you know just sort of self-reinforcing your own worldview is that then that truly eradicates I do believe that that eradicates the possibility of God speaking is because all when all you do is reinforce your own worldview then well you know there there is no there is going to be no cataclysmic there is no going to be no electricity of Sinai you've ruled that out when you're always creating your own reality. So actually, I feel like what Scripture often does, what life often does, if we'll let it work on us the right way, is to destabilize us in such a way that we could be made open for the possibility of this other kind of word, which is why good preaching, I think, often does that to us as well. It will destabilize us. Yes, orientation will come, but there has to be disorientation first. Um, At the time I'm recording this, it's Pentecost Sunday. And keep in mind how that works in the Pentecost story. It's on the day of Pentecost. Spirit's poured out. And yes, ultimately, all these people hear the praises of God in their own languages. But before, they're bewildered. Before, they're confused. Before, they think people are simply drunk, right? Um, There's bewilderment before there's clarity. And I think preaching often works the same way. There has to be bewilderment before this clarity. You have to take them into, if you're going to take them to someplace high, you got to take them into the despair first. You got to go into the belly of the beast. You got to, like, um, the trouble, um, as I often think of it these days, the trouble is not that people uh, don't have certainty. The truth, the truth is, we're far too certain, but we're too certain about the wrong things. And so I think often what has to happen in preaching is a destabilization that can make way for this transformational kind of otherness. That means you got to make way for it. That means you got to clear some space in you. That means you got to clear out the clutter. That means you got to get beyond the familiar riffs and rants. And you got to be open to something new within you. All right, that's enough of that. So the last thing I want to tell you is this. We've talked a bit about how preaching is suspense. We've talked about preaching is otherness. This part's very crucial to me. Preaching is tender. Preaching is tender. 
I hope you'll let that ruminate a little bit. Preaching is tender. Now, I'm specific with my word choice here. I'm not saying that preaching is fragile. Sometimes it might be. Maybe it needs to be. But generally speaking, not saying that preaching is fragile. I'm saying that it's tender. And it comes from a tender place. Preaching doesn't always need to be memoir. It can be distracting. A couple weeks ago when I was preaching in New Orleans, we and I got married. It felt really important, they're doing a series on resurrection stories, for it to be a very vulnerable, very in the moment, very testimonial kind of word. And I tried to make it that. Um, doing it the wrong way or too much of that can feel self-referential. So there's a the fine line there. I mean, you don't want to be too self-referential. On the other hand, I'm always mindful of that great honor. Now, in quote, that that which is personal is that which is the most universal. The more, the deeper people go into the depths of their own story, their own experience, the more that opens up a universal thing uh, that everybody can understand. It taps into some kind of a universal language. So, it's a fine line to walk. But what I know for sure is preaching has to be tender. So, hear what I mean when I say that. Because I... I, I really just don't know if I, if I, I, I would want to scream this from the rooftops. If you are a preacher, an old preacher, young preacher, have done this for a long time or a little, if there's anything I wish would land, it might be this more than anything. The thing that I think plagues sermons more than anything else is that sermons, right, like Jesus himself, are supposed to be both divine and human. The idea is that there's, we're hoping that the divine will break through to us, but it's through a very human vessel, and we're preaching to human vessels. And it, the fact that we are humans who are preaching to other humans, that we are bodies who are preaching to other people who are living and experience their lives in a body, we're preaching, hopefully, about an embodied experience to an embodied people means that the only way this is going to land anywhere in them that's going to be deep, meaningful, is it's got to come from a tender place inside of you. And I think that's the, that's the biggest trouble, truly, with most any sermon. just comes from places that aren't tender enough. Doesn't come from heartbreak. Almost everything that's beautiful comes from at least an element of heartbreak has to be a place of tenderness. Now that doesn't mean it always has to come from a place of sadness. It doesn't mean it always has to come, it doesn't have to always be tragedy. Every sermon doesn't need to be sad. Of course, well no, we don't need all, all sermons to be sad. It'd be great if we had more of them actually. What, you know, 60 to 70% of psalms could be classified as psalms of lament and yet how much room do we have in any sort of liturgical space any terms, uh, any kind of ecclesial space for, uh, for lament, for mourning. People, so much of our lives, so much of our lives involve so much pain, and then there's no space for that in sermons. That, I mean, that grace, gracious, there's surely there needs to be more room for it, for that than there is. But it doesn't have to always be sad. But there has to be an element of heartbreak. I think. I, 
or at minimum, let's let's break it down further. Let's say ache. It has to come from the ache. It has to come from the ache. Both in preparing for a sermon and delivering a sermon. If I don't, if I haven't gotten to the ache yet, I know I haven't gone far enough. Does that sound like I'm saying that if it hasn't hurt yet, then I? That if it hasn't hurt yet, I don't feel like I'm doing it right. I am saying that just a little. I don't think it needs to be excruciating. I don't think I need to bleed out in front of everybody. Uh, it seems like that was Naughty Bolts Weber's line, I believe, about the, 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 it was really wise, but there being a difference between preaching out of scars, because scars are, have been healed to a point, versus preaching from wounds. It's like open wounds. I think that's wise. But I do think there should be a kind of hurt to it, because you've got to get to someplace deep. You've got to get to the achy place. The way I, I think of it is that place in the morning that's between dreaming and being awake. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, you, you're not exactly unconscious, but you're not fully conscious yet. That's a really tender place. It's a vulnerable place. That's an open place. There's a lot of ache there. When I was writing my first book, Prototype, the... I think, it was, I think this is the sixth chapter. It's chapter in Resurrection. And I had this experience of... I kept trying to write that chapter. And I just felt like I couldn't nail it. And the words were fine. I felt like good words, creative words, whatever. But it just didn't, didn't feel like there was fire there. It didn't feel like there was electricity there. And I remember... After spending a whole day writing that chapter... Getting the chapter done... But knowing it just wasn't right... Like, oh, this is okay... It was kind of clinical. It just wasn't, just wasn't, just wasn't right. Having a dream about the Church of God campground where I grew up, where my grandmother's house was, and all my first experiences of everything. And then the dream involved that place that's not there anymore. It involved my grandmother that's not there anymore. And people that I missed. And this life that I miss. And it, I, I'm telling you, I woke up. It's like uh, different people from my family that missed. It's like we're, we're present in that dream. And when I woke up, I felt weepy. I felt it was such a tender place. It just—it was like this kind of fragile, and this kind of achy place. And I knew I've got—I mean, I leapt up. I've got to get up and write right now. I got to write from this place. This is a truthful place. This is an honest place. Um, this is where this has to come from. And the chapter I wrote in Resurrection became something that um, at the time at least I think would that still hold up for me felt really really special but I wrote from the ache and I you know I don't even know how to fully describe this when I'm in the ache I don't want to go over it I don't want to go under it I don't want to go above it I don't want to go below it I want to stay in the ache I want to stay in that pocket where it's still human and it's still tender not so fragile that you feel like you're about to fall apart not so fragile you feel like you're about to become a thousand pieces not um, <laughs> not this is therapy and you know not this is like an open sewer now and like oh like here's all my grossest worst darkest stuff I, that's not the idea but I think there is something about staying within the ache staying within the ache when the people get outside the ache well I feel like I'm about to say something very flat but this is how I feel about it people start speaking outside the ache and they tend to just say things that aren't true 
lot, it's a lot of stuff I hear in sermons that I just like roll my eyes at because a lot of the riffs that happen, it's like, eh, man, blah, blah, blah. I don't even think that you believe that. I don't think you believe that. I think that this is stuff that you say. This stuff that you say about a group of people, these are conventions, you know, it's not that all conventions are bad. Sometimes conventions can be good, but like there's like these riffs are not the stuff that's from the ache. I just think is much more likely to be truthful because it's much more likely to come from a truthful place in you. You know, because you feel it, you know, because you feel the hurt. And when you get down deep enough in yourself to where there's a little of that residual ache, you can feel a little bit of that throbbing sort of like, oh, like mm, the, the incompleteness, the yearning, the longing. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a sermon that's out of yearning. Give me a sermon where I can hear somebody's longing. That's that's going to be something truthful. That's going to be something where there's otherness that's to it. That, or at least there's a much more potential for it. So yeah, I just think like I'm not saying legalistically it has to always be this way, but I will say for me, these things kind of has to always be present. There, I'm not interested in trying to preach anything to anybody where there's not suspense for this overarching narrative. It's the story of our lives, the story of scripture, the story of whatever. It should be compelling. It should be edge of your seat. I'm not interested in talking about anything where I can't guarantee this. I don't make the magic happen. That's not my job. But there's not at least the possibility of otherness. Not the possibility of surprise. And I don't think I have any business. Now, it doesn't mean I don't ever want to just rant and rave and whatever. I don't think I have any business talking about anything that doesn't come from a tender place in me. I don't think it's going to be helpful for them. Uh, it might be good for my ego or, you know, whatever. If I'm looking for high fives, yeah, that, there you go. Maybe that's why more people don't want to talk about out of the ache. Is I feel like the stuff that comes out of the ache isn't always the stuff you get high five for. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's not. And I think that, so if you just want pats on the back, that might not be where it is. But oh goodness, I do still believe in the possibility of uh, of preaching that can take you to somewhere else, can take you to someplace else. I think those three things is kind of what I want to land in terms of what preaching is. But one thing I maybe would want to come around to sort of qualify, you know, I talked a little bit about preaching as otherness. And one of the things I said is that you're in the same world that you were before, but seeing it from a different point of view, come up here. Something else I'd want to add to that maybe is, um, I do think there is a way though that preaching can be a kind of portal. And I love it. I love seeing it when that happens. I love when preaching becomes a kind of portal. I love it when preaching, and I know scripture itself works this way, but we're talking specifically about the art of preaching. And I love it when it becomes a time machine that can take a people back to the people of God in the Exodus, where they're in the Exodus story, but can also take people to the future. And this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is that great feast. This is that great love feast uh, to which we're all gathered. I love it, though, also that it can take people, it can be a portal for people to go deeper into their own story. It's a portal through which they can come to understand, they can revisit places in their past that are painful. 
and can actually experience healing, can actually go to places within themselves, go to experiences of profound brokenness and revisit them in a way that's redemptive and healing. Those kind of portals can be opened up in a sermon. Um, Sermons, because they can build bridges to the future, can take you someplace that doesn't yet exist. They can create possibilities of a world that that really isn't here yet. But people can glimpse it. They can see it. They can feel hope. All of that can happen in the crazy, bizarre foolishness of a sermon. These things, these moments, these moments that can occur. These spaces that can be opened up um, within ourselves and within others. Well, I am tempted to say more because I always am, aren't I? But I don't think that would be good preaching. Because believe it or not, even though you hear me go on and on and um, say I'm quitting and I'm not, truth is, actually a lot of times when I'm preaching these days, if you notice, I really go the other way a lot. Uh, If I've if it needs to be 10 minutes, I'll keep it 10 minutes. Sometimes I have there, the, the simplicity of there's one thing to be said. Uh, today there were a couple, but this just feels like it's the right place to land. And I hope that something in this has stirred up something in you that if you in any way feel called, drawn to this, uh, to the wildness of preaching. Uh, that this will encourage you in some way. Um, ultimately, I think what we always want to do is really take people to someplace beyond themselves. And that means you have to get beyond yourself. And uh, hopefully, using a YouTube lyric, of course, some of this will help in terms of getting out of your own way and uh, getting to some places that I think we need to go in order to be able to bring this kind of transformational word. Thank you for listening. Hey, if you support us on Patreon, thank you so very much for making this possible. I love getting to come alongside you on your journey in any way. Every time you like, subscribe, share, uh, review, any of that stuff is so really, really helpful. And I'm thankful that you would take this kind of time. It's been really fun with the book coming out all this stuff happening there's so much that's going on getting to meet more of you here in the next couple weeks stay connected on the socials on my website jonathanmartinwords.com to see where I'm coming because eager to get to hear more of your stories and hey your stories are changing mine and you know what that comes out in the preaching and the writing these your stories are always shaping mine and that's the way it's supposed to be I'm grateful for that thanks so much Thank you again for joining me for the Zycast.